Hey, what's going on, Warrior? It is Jeff from Warrior Life, and welcome to podcast episode number 432. Now, being involved in a self-defense shooting can be the most stressful experience that anybody can have, and how you react to it could have long-lasting effects. I mean, that's why we train with firearms, to make sure that we are ready for that moment when we're called upon to protect ourselves and those that we love. But the fight isn't over when the bad guy goes down. And one wrong move, one wrong word, as you call for help and work with responding police could set you up for years of life-changing legal problems that could tear your family apart, both emotionally and financially. Now, this week we're talking with a former police officer and investigator who's going to give us the lowdown on what responding law enforcement actually wants us to say and do when they show up in order to protect you after an attack. And hey, don't forget that we've done all the note-taking for you with this week's handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points for today's show. This and our other podcast cheat sheets are all waiting for you right now in a special Loot Locker section of our Warrior Life Academy, as well as a bunch of other special reports, audio training programs, and other things as well. Now, it's all absolutely free for you to download right now, and you can get inside simply by going on over to www.warriorlife.com slash loot. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. It said that to truly survive a gunfight, you must be able to defend yourself in not just one, but three battles. Of course, there's the physical battle, right? Like that's the physical fight in which you have to neutralize that threat before he can kill you. Now, the second is the legal battle, because when the physical threat is ended, the fight's really just beginning. So even if you are morally and legally justified in using deadly force, you may still have to defend yourself in front of a jury against charges of manslaughter or murder. And finally, there's the emotional battle. Now, this is the one that most people overlook. But your life, and maybe even those that you are are really counting on you, the ones that you love, that are looking for you for protection, like your lives may have been hanging in the balance as you answered that call to be the warrior that you need to be. And fear and adrenaline, anger, even guilt can wash over you during and after a self-defense shooting, causing you to say and do things that you're not entirely in control of and potentially even increasing your legal risk of being judged for the actions that you took to defend yourself. In fact, when the police arrive after a shooting, it's one of the most critical times that you need to know what to say and do. And your next words and actions may mean the difference between staying behind with your family to help them recover from the shock and anxiety of an attack or leaving them behind in the backseat of a police car. Now, knowing what to expect after a shooting and exactly how to handle yourself and work with law enforcement is an important part of your training. And it's exactly what we're here to discuss in this week's live stream. Um, so, hey, everybody, this is Jeff Anderson, executive director of WarriorLife.com and the Warrior Life Academy. And with me today to talk about your actions in the aftermath of a self-defense shooting is Rob High of the Critical Incident Response Team at CCW Safe. So, Rob, welcome to the program, man. Man, Jeff, thank you so much. It's an absolute honor to be here and and get to talk about this stuff with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I am I am so excited to have you in our network because you offer the perfect combination of perspectives for today's show. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with CCW Safe or Rob, um, he's a retired law enforcement officer who started with the Oklahoma City 
Police Department in March of 95 and retired as a detective in the robbery unit in 2020. Now, he's also served as a department firearms instructor, and he's earned several nationally recognized instructor certifications in control and defensive tactics, arrest and control, and police use of force, acting as the subject matter expert in these areas for the Oklahoma City Police Department. And during this time, Rob has been recognized in U.S. federal court as an expert witness uh, for use of force and control defensive tactics. And he's now retired, and Rob works with the Critical Incident Response Team for CCW Safe, which is a member-based legal service designed for concealed carry weapon permit holders that takes on the burden of the expenses in defending a self-defense use of force critical incident. Now you can find out more about Rob and CCW Safe by going to visit them online at www.ccwsafe.com. So Rob, I'm, I, as I said, I'm really looking forward to this interview because um, as we were talking a little bit before the show, there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions out there by by people who even consider themselves more as experts out there. I mean, people have been shooting for a long time, owned a gun for a long time. And I know you come across these a lot. So, so I want to start with maybe some of those myths. So what are maybe the, like the, the three biggest misconceptions that most gun owners have about the realities of a self-defense shooting, defending themselves with a firearm? <laughs> um, let, let's try to keep it to three. Um Number one is I have a gun and now I'll be safe um, without any real work in to become proficient with, with this tool. That's all it is. Um, you have to understand there's plenty of people in the population that will not be deterred simply because they know you have a firearm. Just not going to happen. So don't don't get that in your head that having a gun is is going to be your end all be all. <clears throat> um, so many things, you know, you, you have the physical part of that and the failure of that physical part. Um, not training with the thing and thinking that you're just going to elevate and rise to the occasion. You know, all of a sudden I'm going to get that spike of adrenaline and all of a sudden I'll be Superman and, and things are going to work. And anybody that, that has ever done this knows that that's just, that's, that's a load. That's, that's crap. Um, I have, well, my perspective, my understanding, my my own personal response to things in law enforcement, um, the understanding that you develop when you realize the first time you've ever been shot at, because your perspectives on everything change then. <clears throat> Standing static on a safe range, punching holes in paper is not firearms training. It's fundamental fine tuning. Uh, there's so much more that goes into to firearms training. And honestly, one of the worst in the world at, at making adaptations and things, unless you're on a SWAT team or, you know, a high speed unit of some sort. Um, we, we really fail remarkably in law enforcement at those kinds of things. Uh, I've been remarkably pleased with the the 
the availability of really remarkably good training in the civilian world. Uh, I'm a new guy in that world, um, but there are so many people out there. Now, there's a lot of blowhards, too. So you need to vet your instructors. You need to have a place that you can you can go to and, and learn and go, well, you know, Jeff's done this or Rob's done that. Um, one of the things I always want to point out to guys that do that as well are this guy that you're going to go receive training from. When's the last time he received training? I mean, I'm I'm in my 60s. I I've trained more this year than I have probably in the last five combined. Um, it's just one of those things that there's stuff out there that's so good and and it opens those doors to other possibilities for you. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I mean, there were a couple of things that you just said there, right? Like, um, one, you got to train with your weapon. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, don't just think you're going to rise to the occasion. Um, but also what is most of the training that people get? So the more that you train, if you're going to a static range and you're used to just standing there and shooting at a, a flat target, a two dimensional target that's not running at you with a knife or anything like that, not shooting back at you, you're getting more training, but you're also getting more programming that this is what a gunfight is like. And of course it's not right. Like it's not going to be a static environment like that. So it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. You've got to really, um, I mean, I, I'd rather err on the side of ex- actually knowing how to handle a firearm, but I think that too many people get comfortable with just going to the range, you know, just throwing that as a category and saying that, yep, I've done my training. Yep. I'm experienced. Yep. I'm a gun owner. Yep. I'm, I'm going to be the good guy and win every time. So yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think, um, you know, all this is about the aftermath also. So what happens? Um, so I think that's that's great for preparation also. But I think like after after a self-defense shooting, I think a lot of people don't think about it after that as well, right? Like they just think, okay, bad guy's down. I call 911 now. And I think there's more to the 911 call than a yeah. lot of gun owners realize. Um, I know in your, I mean, when you're dealing with CCW safe and, and, and critical incident response, You've got to look at when you when you're looking at the entire case, you're looking at from the point of everything they did before. But then like the clock doesn't stop after or the, you know, the notes don't stop after after that bullet leaves the gun or the bad guy goes down. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you feel victims make even when they're reaching out for like a 911 help for police to respond? Oh goodness. Um, I have to, I have to pre-plan this. I have to rehearse this myself. I have to understand these things happen. How am I going to handle this? As an investigator, I can tell you right now, one of the very first things, and probably before I ever even make contact with you, as I'm on my way to the scene, I'm going to call the uh, communication center 911 and have them get me the audio file of that 911 call. And I'm going to check kind of your condition, um, your excitement level. uh, But I'm really not looking for too terribly much um, unless you're kind of covering something up and you you make an an excited utterance or something like that. And there is no privilege in a 911 call. That is part of my case file. That's going to be played in court. Understand that right up front. So. A 911 operator is truly trained 
to keep you on the phone and continue that conversation. That's not, that won't happen with me unless I'm trying to direct other resources in and get something handled. Um, I'm the involved person as a citizen, not as law enforcement. And people, people think law enforcement get away with this or military guys get away with that. All of our actions in either one of those categories are, are looked at and examined. Um, a lot of the civilian population doesn't understand to what degree that is, but it's pretty intense. Um, so post-incident, the first thing I want to make sure is that I don't have any other assailants. Is, is, is my guy acting alone? Are there other people? As soon as I, I'm at a safe place and I can I can I can get to that point where yes, now's the time to to reach out and make contact. I want to request emergency assistance and I want to request law enforcement. And it's very simple. I can give any geographical or biographical information, geographical information without that being anything that's going to harm me. Um, so giving my name and my date of birth and things like that, that's a bonus for me as an investigator coming in. Cause I can go ahead and pull that stuff up before I get there. And I know that you're, you're just Joe citizen and you're not some guy with a, you know, a, a leg long rap sheet or something. Um, but that statement to 911 is, this is my name. This is my location. Uh, and you can give just a tiny little synopsis of I was attacked. I, I had to defend myself. I've discharged my firearm. We need emergency services. I'm wearing this. This is where we're located relative to the property that we're on. Um, I'll be standing by uh, waiting for, for police to return. I need to make sure that I'm safe and there aren't any other threats. And I'm going to disconnect right now. And I do. <clears throat> My second call comes to, to CCW safe because I know exactly how that response gets handled right then. And that is the critical incident response team, our ownership group, and our national trial council all get messaged within like 30 seconds of that phone call. Um, so we determine that, yes, you're a member in good standing and that kind of stuff. We can go into that, our response here in a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to make sure as a citizen defender, as somebody defending my own life or the life of somebody else, because both of them apply, that everything is in place and I'm not a threat to officers as they respond. You know, in this last year, we had that horrible incident in Colorado You've got a young man that responds to an active shooter that has already engaged in in killing attempts. And this kid is a concealed carrier. He comes out. He sees what's going on, um, confronts uh, the situation, puts the bad guy down, goes up to him, picks his firearm up. Responding law enforcement come in. They, they act really fast, but... You've also got law enforcement that have been shot in this scenario. These guys are, are a little emotional coming into this. They're running in hot anyway. And they see this guy holding a long gun and they shoot him and they put him down. 
and that was that was the good Samaritan that just saved people. And I can't imagine being the cop that has to live with that. Yeah. So I want to make myself the the least threatening person that I can possibly be. So I worked one, I worked a case at, actually in the defense role um, and and advised as as the expert in the case. And it was done as perfectly as I think could have been done. It was a physician. He was attacked. He had to use lethal force to defend himself. It wasn't a fatal shooting. Um, as soon as his attacker was down and the other one had fled and he knew the guy had fled, he secured his firearm in his pickup truck and had his child make a 911 call. And he was giving them step by step, tell them this, tell them this, tell them this, tell them my gun is secured. Tell them we need an ambulance. I'm a physician. I'm I'm working on the guy right now. Um, so those are things that are that are really important. Now, when police get there, everybody thinks that post incident. Uh, I'm not saying nothing until my attorney gets here. Absolutely, you're right. Um, and if you're gonna get diarrhea of the mouth and say things that we can't take back that make your defense really hard. Um, don't say anything. It's I'd rather you go spend a night in the county jail than jeopardize spending the next 15 to 25 years in a penitentiary. So if you're really not sure what to say, just don't say anything. Would you have? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to dive deeper into that. You said um, there's something I want to kind of go back to a little bit. You said it in the very beginning because, you know, you're going and you're grabbing that, the recorded call from 911. I think a lot of people don't realize that, um, especially since you're you're focusing on the incident, but they don't realize that you're being recorded every single thing that you say during that call. And like you said, 911 is they're trained to be able to keep you on there. Of course, they want as much information as possible for the responding officer to be able to go off to or, or go on when they get there. But anything that you say, it's in the background, something your spouse says, something that the person who is the bad guy and injured and down on the ground, anything that they say, all of that is going to be recorded. Yes. Um, yeah. As you said, I mean, you can just, you can disconnect from there if you've given all the information and I'm sure they'll have your phone number to be able to call back if they, if they need anything, but I think people really need to understand that like, it's not a matter of, okay, you read your rights and now you have, you can shut up then or shut up on the officer. When you make that call, everything that you say is part of the case. It's, it's all, it's all potentially admissible there for, for when you have to respond there. I think also one of the, there's always this thing in the media, I think, especially about, the mindset of police officers, or, you know, sometimes they're vilified and sometimes they're the good guys. Sometimes they're the bad guys. And I think that what I love about your perspective on all of this from both ends is that you've lived a life on the response end. So I'd really like to know from your perspective, like what's in your mind as a police officer when you come upon the scene and what are you looking for that gun owners should be aware of whether in the right or wrong, I guess, like, how do you approach that scene? Well, 
understand if, you, if you're the patrol guy coming in on this, you're coming in pretty amped up. Um, <clears throat> you know, you have those different uh, conditions of alertness. Um, a guy responding to a shooting that is that we know it, there's been a, a, a shooting. We don't know that it's stopped. Um, so you're coming in kind of on point. Um, and I never, <laughs> this, because they're absolutely a lifeline. I, I, I give a lot of praise to, to emergency operators, to 911 call takers. Um, dispatchers are a lifeline. They, they, they have pulled my bacon out of the fire more than one time. By that same token, they can only tell me what they've been told. And I don't always get valid, pertinent information. So as I come into this situation, I really just disregard anything about the violators gone or there's no more gun or there there's a gun until I prove that there's not a gun. Um, So keep those things in mind. Um, Also keep things in mind that uh, like I, I, mentioned earlier, if, if I throw out there the simple fact that uh, I'm not making a statement until my attorney's here, you've, you've really taken away any options for me and until we get something figured out, unless it's just remarkably clear cut, you're probably spending the night in jail. That's okay. That's not a it's not a pleasant thing, but there are far worse things that could happen if we if we say the wrong things. <clears throat> so the the physician I was working, um, the the officers roll up and they're taking they're they're coming from cover and uh, really had a really good response. And he's he says, my firearm is he tells again, my firearms secured in my vehicle. You let me know when you need it. I'll unlock that for you. You can grab it. This has happened. This has happened. This has happened. I was standing here. They were standing there. There's nothing wrong with giving what we call a safety statement. I was standing here. The assailant was standing here. I discharged my weapon one time in that direction. My shell casing is right over there. Anything that's that's uh, potential uh, that holds evidentiary value, um, I, it's important because I can't just expect that law enforcement is going to find everything. Most most of them do. They do a really good job at recovering evidence, but if I don't talk and you're telling me that the guy had an associate with him and he took off running that way and he threw something. I think it was a knife in the bushes over there. All of those things just build up credibility for me. Um, so it's, it's not bad to point out uh, evidence or the positions that we were in. Um, law enforcement guys, good, good investigators understand that you may tell me that you know, I, I fired three shots and it's like, Jeff, we got 12 casings over here. Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay. That's not a big deal. That's a trauma response. That's a trauma memory. 
which is a completely different thing. Um, there's lots of those things that we can explain away. Um, but that's, that's really what I'm looking for is give them a little safety brief. Um, this happened, this happened, this happened. Um, you know, everybody thinks they want to do the, I was in fear for my life and I had to, you know, just, just be a human. Um, I understand as an investigator, you've seen it. <clears throat> the reactions for somebody that are involved in a life and death situation are so vastly different. And every one of them is normal. It's nothing for me to, to walk up. And it can be a guy that, that is just tough as tough as nails. And all of a sudden I, I roll up on the scene of his shooting and he's over set aside and he's, and he's just sobbing. That's a natural response. Um, I can have a guy, same situation. And all of a sudden I look over and he's just retching and throwing up in the yard, you know, bent over holding his knees. Um, that's a normal response. <laughs> um, the other, the other part of that is I can roll up and, and you, you're over in the corner and you're high-fiving somebody and you're just amped up. Well, guess what? That's a normal response. You just survived a lethal attack. So incident by incident and person by person, I can't tell you what the normal response is going to be, but what I can tell you is it's normal. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think there's another aspect of it from, from the gun owner, from the property owner perspective. Also, you, you kind of mentioned earlier, but you never really know what the experience level is of the responding officer. And we've okay. seen videos, right. Of like, even, um, even of a child being shot, like a, like a police car, just roaring up, coming to a stop person jumps out and just shoots. Right. Like we don't know exactly what experience level, because all the adrenaline that we're feeling from the attack, a responding police officer is going to have adrenaline because you don't know if there's somebody there. As you as you said, doesn't matter if nine one one said there's no weapon in the area. There's no more weapon. It's been put away. It's it's whatever. Like you have to assume if you want to go home to mama or you want to go home to papa, you've got to assume that there's still a threat there. And so, what can we as gun owners do to make sure that we're safe when police do respond and they they show up? That police car pulls up there. What can we do to make sure that we stay safe and we're not mistaken for? The bad guy. If if I've still got threats that are present, that that can get really dicey. Mm. Um, but if if the threat is removed, if if I've stopped the threatening action, or if they fled, or whatever the case may be, um, one of the one of the things I feel comfortable with as a responder is empty hands. I really want to want to know that I have empty hands and there's nothing wrong with being verbal at this time. Uh, and going, I, you know, my firearm is secured in a holster on my right hip or my firearm is secured in my vehicle or it's secured in the home or whatever. But those are things that can, that can affect that as well. Um, you know, everything about these cases if you're going to carry a gun and you haven't started thinking about these things, I like to explain it. And I, I know it gets old because I use the same 
the same uh, little analogy every time, but I've taken a perfectly calm surface of a pond, no wind, no nothing, and it's just beautiful. And I grab a, a, a rock and I throw it out into the middle of the pond and those concentric ripples, they just go and go and go and go. Um, you have to understand those ripples are the effects on everybody else involved. So you have your assailant and all of their family. And guess what? They're involved. You have you and you think it's just me. No, that's not true because you have a spouse or you have parents or you have children or siblings or, and if you don't think they're not affected by this, you've lost your marbles. You need to think this through. And then the other side of this is this law enforcement response that's coming in. And you have no earthly idea, like you were just saying, I don't know what his level of training is. I don't know how, how seasoned this guy is. Um, I know what I want coming, but I don't get to pick that. I get, to, you know, I get whoever gets dispatched and is the available officer at the time. Um, so I don't know his level of training. I don't know what, what call he just came from. He, he may be coming from a worse call than what, what I'm bringing him to. Um, so human nature is human nature. Uh, you know, I, I can tell, I don't have anything in almost three decades of law enforcement that I can look back on and go, man, I'm really ashamed of that. But there are things I, I would look at and go, ah, I wish I'd have handled that better, but I'm not ashamed of it. I did the best I could with what I had at that given time. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to understand that these guys don't, you know, it, if you're in a, a large city, you know, I, I worked hundreds of shootings. Um, it's not a big deal for me to roll. Now it's the worst day in the world for you. This, this is really a, isn't a big deal to me. Um, or you can be in a little country town and and you have no earthly idea how these guys are going to respond because they've never had one of these. So location is is kind of a big deal as well. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, we talked a little bit about some of the things that people should say when police show up. <laughs> But I think this is another one of those areas where sometimes we have to empty the glass also, because there is a lot of myths and misinformation that's spread out there about what, like you said, you know, just tell them I was in fear for my life and then shut up, you know, don't say anything after that. Yes. And what are some of the other mistakes maybe that you think that, I think especially when we're talking about like the, the quote unquote experienced gun owners out there, or the people who have, who have been bragging the most over the, over the gun store counter, um, some of the things that you think people might kind of conceive as being the truth or ways that or actions that they should take, but, but you know, from your perspective that are the wrong things to do. Oh goodness. Um, number one, those guys that are running their mouths are those guys that don't know if they could really do that or not. Um, a lot of the times the guys that are really verbal about it are trying to convince themselves they could do it if the situation was, was forced on them. Um, by that same token, I know cops that carry guns that I don't know would ever use them. 
Um, that's just really not in them. <clears throat> um, but as far as like kind of like the things that people say, um, I think a really good example is that I was in fear for my life. And then it's almost like you can read it off of a card, right? Um, you know, I've even had, I used to go to our neighborhood, you know, we step uh, um, every, every year, every summer we would, we would have our neighborhood, not our neighborhood watch program, but it was like our, just our party for our neighborhood. Yeah. And we would always have local yeah, law enforcement yeah. show up. Yeah. They would just come to, you know, let us know what's going on in the police department and just kind of it, community, right. It's building right. law enforcement as part of the community. And we would always have the guy who, you know, was the football coach from, from college and played football all of his life. And, is now 80 years old and he he would always he'd always raise his hand he's like I just want to know one thing can I still just drag him in the house and and af- from my front lawn you know it's like <laughs> and he's told no every year but I swear he still believes that you know he can still do things like that but I think there are a lot of those myths that are out there about how you should act how you should be are the police the good guys when they show up are they the bad guys when they show up and and um I'm just curious if you if you other things that you might hear that you think are kind of like the the what people conceive as the truth to say, like what their words should be and what they actually shouldn't be. I know, for example, like one thing um, we've talked about before is the um, uh, I'm going to blank on his name, the uh, the hockey dad. Um, This was years ago. Right. And uh, he was the parent of a hockey student. And when the police showed up, he made sure is like, he wasn't afraid to fight. And I wasn't afraid to fight. Right. So it was like, there's no fear. You know, I'm, I'm literally saying like, I, I was not in fear for my life when they show up. Um, are there any other things that come to your mind about mistakes that people might make in what they do say? I, th- I think it's from their own mindset. I think you think that I'm going to believe the things that you're telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, This is going to sound condescending. Um, As an investigator, I have been known to talk with other investigators and and say, uh, Jeff had the, he had the right to remain silent, but he absolutely did not have the ability. Mm. You know, you were your own worst enemy. Um, So something that was a reality check for me, because I was a public servant. I did this. I carried a gun. Um, as as part of my daily duties and and it was just uh in in a worst case scenario this is this is going to have to come into play <clears throat> but as a citizen carrier as a citizen defender things have changed for me as a police officer if i'm involved in a shooting when Law enforcement response comes to me. I'm handled as a victim. You're not. Until I prove otherwise, as a citizen defender, you're being handled as a suspect. There's a difference. So that's where we want to, you know, we've we've learned over time from uh, trauma responses and trauma memories that things things can get jumbled and sequences get out of order and things like that 
And in order to get the best kind of interview, the best kind of information post-shooting from a police officer, they get two sleep cycles before they come in and give a statement. Um, as an investigator, I want to get this done and knocked out as soon as I can. So if I can get you down to the office, we're coming down to the office. So it is not. And it's human nature, honestly. Um, and people that think this think that they you know, I'm smart enough to do this. I can I can I can handle this. It's human nature to want to go. But Jeff, wait, this happened and this happened and this happened. And I had to do blah, blah, blah. Um, no, you don't. I need you to get calm. I need you to get in your proper headspace. And if you had to spend a night in a holding tank, okay, go spend the night. Um, because those memories are not as clear as you think that they are. Um, so for me, at a, as a citizen defender, I can give you biographical information. There's nothing wrong with saying this is who I am. This, this is my personal information. This is where I live. This is my phone number. And that's helpful for, for the investigator because he can now plug all my stuff in and go, okay, he's a good guy. He's lived a clean life. There's nothing, nothing here that's a hiccup. That's a plus for me. Uh, it's a plus for me, even if I've had screw-ups in life at some point in time, but now I'm uh, matured and grown up and, and living on the straight and narrow and, and all is good there too. <clears throat> but my response has to be when when they start to go into that let's talk let's 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 close this thing out tonight my response has to be listen i need you to understand that no matter what i want to be completely cooperative with you i'm going to answer anything you have to do and everything else but i'm really really shaken up i've just come through the worst experience in my life so I think it's in my best interest to wait until my attorney's present. And if we could call and schedule a time to get that done, uh, I'd be happy to do that. But I sure want to talk to them first and have them present with me and make sure I don't do anything that, that gets me in trouble. Boom. Guess what? As an investigator, I feel really good. I'm looking at Jeff. He's got all his stuff. He's lived in the same house for X amount of time. He's, he's locked in. He's a solid citizen. He's not going to be a flight risk. There's nothing hinky about this. And even without really being able to piece all the details together, he's he's got this worked out already that I, I know I'm I'm not going to have any, you know, Jeff, who's your who's your attorney? You know, here's my card. Make sure they call me. Um, you guys work it out. Um, please have them call me as soon as possible. And just so I can visit with them a little bit, but then we'll we'll work on scheduling a, a time for you to give a statement. Simple enough. <clears throat> Simple enough. That, and you know, we we had one two weeks ago out in LA that we responded to that super good deal. Um, great, great self-defense thing. I don't think we'll have any issues with it at all. Um, and the guy actually had to spend the night in jail. Um 
not a big deal. I mean, we bond him out the next day and, and get everything set up and have, have an attorney in place with him. And then critical response team rolls out and we take him through the thing and, and uh, kind of, you know, cause if you haven't been through the system, you have no earthy idea what's coming at you next. So that's kind of where I want to go next with it also, because because I do love that you have this perspective from both the law enforcement side and now with the legal side as as well. And I think that, um, you know, I think for all the all the reasons that you you said earlier, like somebody can get diarrhea of the mouth. They just want to talk. They want to talk. They want, that's a natural response from adrenaline. Right. Like you just went through a, a harrowing experience. Potentially your life was on the line. Your family was in danger there's a, there's this sense that we just want to get it out, right? We want to talk to somebody. We want to talk to anybody and just kind of get it all out. What should a, a gun owner who's involved in a self-defense shooting know about what to expect going forward as the incident response progresses? Like, in other words, I've called 911. We've, we've covered that police officer shows up. We know they're going to respond. Like we expect that in our mind that there's going to be a responding police officer we talked about things to say, things not to say. Where does the night go from there? We've we've also talked that even if you are morally and legally justified for the incident, you may possibly still be brought in for questioning. Um, just by oh, saying okay. like, "Hey, I'll, I'll talk to you in a couple of days," may not mean that you're you're not going to go away in the backseat of a police car because you never know what that response is going to be. Right? I mean, we've seen cases where people who who did atrocious things and were almost, at least in public eye or media, right? Like clearly in the wrong, stayed home. Police didn't charge anything. They just went about their way and filed the report and then something else happens, right? But it could go the other way as well. There could be no sign of anything and your responding police officer may still feel like, you know, let's bring them in. We need to talk through this a little bit more. So you may still go away. So what are some of those things? If we could set them up almost linearly, What's going to happen when that police officer gets there? You've made contact and there's no more threat. You've you've said like you like you said there, you know, I want to cooperate, um, but I want my attorney present. What should a gun owner realize is is coming up in the next days, weeks, months or even potentially years? Okay, like you said, um, you've you've made whatever little statement it is to the responding officers. Um understand you're going to get placed in the backseat of a police car um, unless you're injured, something like that. And, and you need medical attention and make sure absolutely that you've requested medical attention. Um, let me ask you, let me, let me stop you there. Cause that, that's, that just, that kind of blows my mind a little bit here. Do you recommend um, requesting I'm saying this almost from a legal perspective, if anything, you know, right? Is it best to request, even if you're not injured, is it still appropriate or good practice to request medical attention? Only, only if I have a need. Um, and it can be for however minor. I mean, okay. you knock me to the ground, I want to get looked at. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to make something up. You know, there there's cameras everywhere in life now. Um, you can't even get somebody to help you anymore. They'd rather pull their phone out and record it. Um, but even in just regular neighborhoods, 
you know, the things I can pull evidentiary from somebody's ring doorbell camera. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's really changed the game on a lot of things from law enforcement. So if I roll up and, and you're going, Oh my gosh, I got to go to the hospital. Uh, and the investigator sees that you were never touched, you know, it, and it may have been okay that you had to deploy a lethal response. Um, I don't have to be shot to defend myself. I mean, we, we know that. Um, I just lost my train of thought. I apologize. Well, no, no, it's okay. I mean, um, I think that's, that's excellent clarification, actually. I mean, I remember when I was in a, an automobile accident and got out of the car perfectly fine. Didn't feel a single thing, hit a guardrail, totaled the vehicle, but I, not a scratch, nothing. The next day I couldn't even get out of bed. Like my neck was just like, you know, like, so I think that if there is a person, like if there is any sort of any physical confrontation or anything. So I have two points here. One, if there is any, if you were touched in any way, you fell down, anything happened at all, it's probably not a bad idea to request medical support, right? Not at all. The other thing, the other thing, and I think this is something that may be lost on a lot of people who are in the, well, screw him. You know, he, he made the decision to come and rob me in my house or whatever is if you have an injured assailant to also request, like, make sure that that's known. Like you don't want to show any sort of like irreverence for, for his life as well. Yeah. Now that might offend a lot of people, right? Yeah. Yeah. It might offend a lot of people like screw them, you know, whatever, but by again, if you're, especially if you're being recorded, you're on nine one one, letting them know, like this person is injured, please get somebody here fast is different than not saying anything, even though you knew that they were bleeding out and not showing any concern for their life whatsoever. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it It's so important that I don't do anything that causes my word to be questioned is the reason I'm saying if if I haven't if I haven't been affected in any way physically, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and go, hey, I need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if I have, let's get looked at. Um, as an investigator, I don't I don't need anything that's going to cause a red flag for me. And and lying about a non injury is is kind of a red flag. It's a small one, but it 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 still is a red flag. Um, I want to be as forthright and honest in everything that I do, no matter no matter what cost to me. Um, I can't undo a lie. Um, and it's part of why I want to not give an investigator the opportunity to kind of twist my words. So that whole trauma response and trauma memory immediately post-incident. Um, I think it's really, really important that we do a little study on the psychology of the brain and, and kind of examine that stuff. So that you have an understanding and go, oh man, yeah, I I don't need to do that. Um, And it's normal. Um, I ran the police academy for nine years. I trained hundreds of recruits. And it's it's one of those that 
in my position now as a responder, and we still investigate and help prep uh, officers in officer-involved shootings. So it's another part of of what my partner and I do. Uh, and we've got 12 new homicide investigators that are that are on board now that we've we've trained them up to our protocols and our response plans. Um, but it's it's really important for for people to understand that. So yeah. Yeah, great. Okay, so I did I did pull you off track a little bit here. So, but I just thought it needed some clarification there. But so, so police respond. You're talking with them. There may be um, there may be medical attention that's brought in. You may be brought in for questioning. That's that's totally possible. So, what are some of those other things, kind of linearly, in the next days, weeks, months, years, potentially that somebody might expect? Like it wouldn't be surprising to to be subjected, not subjected in like, maybe that's the wrong word for it, but be exposed to um, that they might not, they might not know. Well, uh, an investigation is going to take place. And depending on the size of the, the agency, the town you live in, that kind of thing can have a, a determination on the length of time that investigation may, may take. Um, when I was a sex crimes investigator, we would average about 120 cases individually a year. That's a lot of cases. Mm. And so you've, you're spinning all these plates at the same time and working so many things. So it may not go nearly as fast as you think. If there is a shooting involving a death and or, a, or significant bodily injury and charges are filed, we may be talking about two years plus. Um, there, there really isn't, you know, the, the wheels of justice grind really slowly. Um, so you're going to have uh, an officer that or investigator that works through this investigation. Um, they're going to interview you. They're going to interview, uh, you know, if the other side is, has survived the incident there'll there'll be full interviews with them if they will will give it um any witness interviews or anything else all of those things are going to come into play <clears throat> every officer that's on the scene is doing a report and because from different approaches and things like that they're going to have different perspectives all of those things get put together to give as clear a picture as you possibly can when we go in front of a district attorney or grand jury. These are the things that we have discovered. These are the results of our investigation show this. And people think that as even as a seasoned robbery detective, you think I'm the one that, that filed a charge against you. No, I worked the case. I built I built the case through my investigation and I went to the prosecutor or the grand jury and I presented those things to them and they determine whether charges are filed or not. And obviously my work and, and the way I present that uh, is going to hold some value with them. 
but it's not going to be the determining factor. Those, those factors are made in the prosecutor's office, even up to the federal level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I think people, um, I think like you said, and I, and I know this just from, not from any sort of a self-defense shooting case, but just of, of different things I've had in the legal system, it, it does grind insanely slow. So um, and this is going to be something that I think also there's a lot of financial investment that people don't really understand about it. Um, even if you're innocent, even if you're innocent, to be able to uh, the lawyers and everything else, and and it can go on for a very long time. Um, I, th- I think more people need to really understand more about the aftermath. I think to make better decisions on the front end. I think not knowing about what is going to happen after the bullet leaves the gun and always thinking that the good guys always win, the bad guys always lose. And you get to go home and be with your family. And of course, why, why would a jury, you know, you're, 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 you're a tax paying citizen. Why would you possibly be ever found guilty for something? But there are a lot of little mistakes that can, that can bring about charges. And I think that understanding this aftermath and understanding the, the conditions that you're going to be living under potentially for a long time. I mean, even just the the judgment of your work, your neighbors, mm-hmm. there's so much there that you are going to be facing that um, I think it helps you make better decisions on the front end and not being too trigger happy. And really, as you said, in the very, very beginning, some of the things that people don't do, like you own a gun, that's not your magic talisman. You got to train with it. But um, you know, I, I've told this story before, like on a podcast and in different training that we've had that when I got, when I was living in Texas and I got my concealed carry weapons uh, card, the, the instructor spent, you know, it was like a like four and a half hour course or whatever, and spent about two and a half hours on why we needed to vote Republican to be able to keep our second amendment rights. And there were all the, now this was not stuff that was covered, that was need, necessary by the state to be able to get your get your concealed carry weapons permit. But all of a sudden looks at his watch and like, oh, we're running out of time. Oh, we have to get through the legal section. And it's just like, okay, ding, 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 slide, 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 zip right through. And we got the Republican vote, but we didn't really leave people there who are going to be carrying a gun now concealed with, I think, the protection that they need to make sure that they're not making the wrong choices and spending the rest of their life in prison. You know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of this stuff also. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rob, thanks so much. I really appreciate you giving your perspective here. Um, listen, everybody, we have, we have barely touched the, uh, the tip of the iceberg here with everything that you do need to know. And again, it's not just about dealing with the legal side. It, it really is about understanding these things so you can make better shoot, don't shoot decisions so that you know what to expect. So that you're in a better frame of mind when you do call 911, when police do show up even when that threat presents itself and you might have to defend your own actions or defend your life or that of your family. So listen, uh, CCW Safe actually has a course that's available to people that sign up. I mean, anybody that is a member of CCW Safe and and I highly encourage you to go check uh, check out their services there because it's not like a typical like insurance program out there. You're not dealing with like an insurance company. You're dealing with somebody who really is an advocate for you. And as Rob said, First call, 911, get help there. Second call, CCW safe. 
If you want to find out more about them, and I highly recommend you check out more of the information that they have about the aftermath, you, um, we're going to go ahead and put a link here with the uh, with the podcast as well. But the, you can head on over. We'll make an extra uh, a link that'll take you directly there, so you don't navigate around. But you can go over to uh, warriorlife.com/aftermath, all one word, and we'll go ahead and make sure that that's going to lead over to where you can get more information on this as well. So, Rob, I really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. And listen, everybody, until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.